Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This has never happened before, but it has now. Jonathan Ray, five-time World Superbike Champion. You wouldn't have had that, would you? Three rounds in. This one has to be his best one, surely. Well, it's been a five-star day in the World Superbike Championship. It's been a five-star weekend, actually, and certainly five stars when it comes to Jonathan Ray. Jonathan, congratulations. I remember when I came into the World Superbike paddock to commentate in 2015, and of course that proved to be your first title-winning year, and now we're going to digest the events of this weekend. Greg Haynes here, Shaky Burns with me for the Full Throttle podcast this week. Not the Shaky Show, but the Full Throttle podcast, of course. Yeah, guest of honour, I guess, on uh, on Full Throttle. It's... Uh great to be back here once again Greg it's not long since we were sat in uh, a hotel room in Aston and now here we are in another hotel in the there just seven days later but as I said shaky five-star weekend five-star rider five-star world champion and this time Jonathan Ray has done something no one's ever done before five world superbike titles and I think even Jonathan didn't think it was going to happen this weekend well honestly I think that um, I think he was probably right in thinking that um, this whole podcast could get quite interesting now because Greg Haynes TV, as he's called himself on uh, on Instagram and Twitter, has just bought us both a full fat Coca Cola in glass in glass bottles with ice and lemon. And uh, yeah, me being <laughs> me being me, when I have one of those and it's freezing cold, all the bubbles go to my head. So God knows what nonsense I'm going to waffle on now, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think Jonathan actually expected this weekend to go the way it did. You know, his wife Tash, the two boys weren't out. His dad never came out. Um, I think the long and the short of it was, you know, even when we spoke at the top of the show today, that basically um, Alvaro had done such a good job this weekend in, in learning Magni Coro as quick as he had that, you know, definitely a couple of top fives, if not a couple of podiums, were going to be possible. And, you know, that would have meant that Johnny hadn't, wouldn't have scored enough points uh, this weekend to, mm-hmm. to sort of take the championship. And, you know, I think we called it, <laughs> blowing our own trumpets, I think we called it perfectly. Barring a disaster for Alvaro, there was no way he'd win the championship this weekend. But, you know, uh, a small disaster for Alvaro was exactly what happened. I think that, um, you know, Top Rack made a really small mistake, a tiny mistake at um, Chateau d'Eau, which is turn 14, I believe. Um, just lost the front there and Alvaro was right behind him kind of lining up a run on the way out and uh, ran into the back of his bike and, and down he went and you know ultimately that was the championship over I know what a nightmare and isn't it just incredible really that the one person who's first on the scene after top rack crashes happens to be Alvaro Bautista any other rider and Bautista would have got through there and the championship would have gone on to Argentina we knew it was a matter of when rather than if didn't we for the title to be won 
But once again, Jonathan Ray's come through and racked it up at his first possibility. Today, race two, the second race of Sunday, was the first chance he could have actually uh, wrapped it up. And he's done it as members of our Eurosport team start to come back into the hotel and distract us while we're recording. But just going back to 2015, Shane, I remember we did some interviews at the start of the year that year with riders and all the riders had to choose who they thought the favourite was. And obviously, Jonathan Ray had just left Honda at that point to go Kawasaki. And Jonathan got great amusement out of the fact that he was the favourite. But even he surely wouldn't have seen this coming five in a row. Well, do you know what? To go back to your uh, to your opening sentence just then, yeah. you know, when you say it was a, a case of kind of when, not if, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a fairly realistic comment if we were talking about maybe the ninth, eighth or ninth round of the championship. But let's not forget, Alvaro Batista came in on the brand new Ducati V4R and won something like 10 of the first 11 races or 11 of the first 12 races or something. So actually, it was far from a when, not if, at one point in this championship. And, you know, the swing that we've seen from Alvaro back towards Jonathan is probably the most colossal ever in, in probably any motorcycle racing championship history. Yes, he got the job done today, and yes, it was the first opportunity he could get it done, but yes, I think it's also fair to say that a little bit of fortune went his way. Probably some fortune that he actually didn't wish to happen, because I'm sure he'd love uh, Tars the boys, his dad, his family, everybody to be here to share this with him. And, you know, when we interviewed him at the end of the show there, it was almost like they, they kind of hadn't, hadn't foreseen this happening um, and that shows also the you know the mutual amount of respect between him and, and Alvaro because you know I guess Jonathan expected Alvaro to turn up here and be strong enough to, to take the championship to to Argentina let's just play that and listen to the words of a five-time world champion five times world champion Jonathan absolutely amazing how do you feel um can't no words right now just so happy so so happy because um it's probably the toughest season of my life, both from a mechanical point of view, a mental point of view, and and we managed just to keep with it, you know, keep believing in the project, keep believing in myself, and never give up. So um, when things looked like they were never going to happen, we just all them seconds in the beginning of the year, that's what won the championship. And uh, I never even thought about the championship, and it, we never had zero communication about what would happen if I won. So this. Hence this bow tie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm so happy. You know, I want to thank everybody from my family, Tarsh and the boys. You know, that's, that's how much we didn't think it was on. You know, they're not here. So I wish they were here right now for the moment. Um, you know, my trainer back home, because this year I really stepped up. All my team, all the backroom staff, you know, at Kawasaki, because uh, we knew this was going to be a tough job, but we stuck with it and um, we delivered the championship. I can't believe it, mate. can't believe it. Look, you've been in this situation four times before this. You've broken all the records, but this time you really have put yourself uh, in a place of one. Just tell us how you felt on those last couple of laps when you're really trying to... You still had to keep your pace up. Yeah, to be honest, Mikey rode a great race uh, because compared to yesterday, the wind came up so much, and just on the straight, we just struggled a little bit. I was able to... There were some corners I was doing really well with my bike, and some corners, Mikey and the Yamaha was just a little bit better. So it was kind of a cat and mouse thing, but I could see he was just struggling a little bit to get into the corner. And that's when I went through and decided, okay, just hit my marks, don't make mistakes, don't try and go faster. And hopefully the, you know, the bungee would break and I would have some margin. So um, it makes up for yesterday, because I was really disappointed yesterday, you know, especially on the last lap. Completely my fault, but yeah, massive, um, massive thanks to everyone involved. You know, I'm the guy now standing talking to you, but this is a massive project and there's so many people involved, so they all know who they are, so thank you very much. What are you going to do tonight? 
I've no idea. Man. Private jet or something like that? Definitely not. I'm staying here. You know, I'm going to Ibiza tomorrow. It's my brother Richard's stag party. So I had no idea, but it's a great way to go and celebrate, I guess. So I hope we can have a you know, dinner all together as a team and enjoy this moment. Well deserved, mate. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. Obviously, not taking anything away from Karasaki, but it's a difficult one this year. It's almost, it's tricky in a way to work out whether Ducati and Bautista have lost this title or whether Karasaki and Jonathan Ray have won this title. And clearly they've won it through all of those second places at the start of the season, as Jonathan said earlier on today. But at the same time, it's difficult not to say that Ducati and Bautista have just thrown away a championship this year, haven't they? You know what? It, it's difficult. Ultimately, um, you know, the World Superbike Championship is still run in a, in a conventional format. You know, the guy that scores the most points wins the championship. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, I'm quite open. You know, I think that that's, that's how it should be. And unfortunately, you know, there's, there's no get-out-of-jail card. Alvaro's first mistake really was in Jerez when he was pushing to, you know, to, to break the guys and, and to, to win another race. Um, you know, let's not forget the guy's utter dominance in the beginning of the championship. You know, Jonathan was like almost at like a, at a complete loss. You know, well, what do I do? All I can do is keep racking up seconds and hoping. But um, we went to Mizano then and Alvaro had another crash. Then we went to Laguna and he had two or three more crashes. And, and that was it. That was championship done. Later, um, it was a case of kind of when, not if. But what a swing. Who would have foreseen it's that? It's crazy, isn't it? I can't remember the lead now. We've been going on about it all year long. But 91, that's it. 91, after the sprint race in Jerez. Am I outstanding yeah. the statistician? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long weekend. I'm quite tired now, are you? Yeah, I've got to drive to Paris in a minute, so don't talk to me about being tired while you're sat in your plush hotel eating dinner and drinking bottles of Coca-Cola. <laughs> I've got to go write newspaper reports in a bit. I, it could be a late night now as well because of the World Championship being won, but rightly so because what an historic day it's been. But yeah, uh, 91 points then in Bautista's favour after the sprint race in Jerez. I remember chatting with Pereira after the weekend. There was a test and he said, it's been a disaster, Jerez, because... Um, Obviously, Van der Mark won a race there, didn't he? Jonathan Ray took Alex Lowe's off at the last corner in the first race and then got demoted. They had that penalty for the sprint race, had to fight through from the back of the field. And they thought it had, I don't think they gave up, but they thought it would got, it had gone. And you can believe it, can't you? I mean, Assen, they'd expected a really strong weekend and were beaten fair and square by Bautista. Imola they won, but they knew it was going to be a good round for them. And then I don't know what went wrong with Bautista. Was it his head? Do you think it's anything to do with the fact, as we now know, that there was a lot going on behind the scenes? We've seen that tweet, haven't we, from Claudio Domenicali, the Ducati boss this weekend. Do you think Bautista was affected by all of that stuff going on about his contract and his future? I don't know. Was it unsettled inside that team, maybe? I honestly don't think that would have been the case. I think that... um you know, Alvaro's manager is also Andrea De Vizioso's manager, a guy called Simone Battistella. Simone's a very, very professional guy. And, you know, Alvaro, in my opinion, would have been spoken to when there was, you know, X, Y and Z offers on the table. And, and you know, it would have been no part of, you know, any negotiations or any problems or whatever. You know, at the end of the day, that's the... That's the job of, of, a, of a rider manager. You know, you basically let the rider concentrate on his job in hand, which is winning races, whilst you concentrate on, you know, negotiating their deals and putting stuff on the table for them. I don't think there would have been too much of that. I do think that Ducati bought the, the V4R race bike out 
a year later than was anticipated. But yeah. in that year, they done an awful lot of development work and got the bike to the level that it was at, which was clearly a very, very high level. And Alvaro came out, as we said earlier on, and, and won you know all of those races but um i think that maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of the thing could perhaps be his perception of what you might call complacency because you know he's been quite vocal about the fact that actually he's had no changes whatsoever to the bike since australia and he's complaining about the same things now that he was in in portimao at the first world superbike test of this season so maybe he just thought you know ducati want to win the championship they've won 11 races blah, 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 um, you know, they're getting a bit complacent, they're not helping him enough, and, and you know, th there's more to this than meets the eye. The other thing that we that we seem to be overlooking is, like, everybody looks at the, the performance of Honda and HRC right now, and uh, they see, you know, they see Ryuichi Kiyonari and, and Leon Kamiya, obviously, and, and some, some film riders as well that have, you know, struggled with the, the current Honda setup, and and perhaps look at Alvaro and think, oh, he must just have gone there for a big paycheck. But mm. that guy's not silly. You know, the, the paycheck that, that, that he'd been reportedly offered by, by Ducati was, you know, was, was a seven-figure deal over two, over two years. You know, ultimately, I think that his wage is none of anybody's business. And if he decided to go to Honda for, for a lot more money, if that was the case, that's nobody's business either. But I do think that, you know, Alvaro's a racer, and you know the the opportunity that that he had this year to win a world championship was very strong and mm. um, the last time he won a world championship i think was 1993 1996 maybe was it mm. you, you'll come on mr statistician help me out who bautista yeah uh, to, uh 2006 so you're going back you're going back you're going back a couple of decades aren't you because we're in 19 now yeah, no, I don't know. So you, you think he won the championship? In, I'm going to Google it whilst we're here. Uh, Batista was 2006, definitely, yeah. Because he would have been about, how old would he have been in 96? He would have been about <laughs> I'm not, I'm not 10 years old or something, definitely. Alvaro. <laughs> Batista. It's 2006. You keep talking for a minute. Because All right, he's going to check that. So I, had to, I did a double take there when you said 96. I thought, am I not listening properly? I thought you were talking about Batista. As you can oh, tell. We sugar, you were right. <laughs> That's really frustrating. Um, what year was he born, Shane? Because I, I can't remember that. I'm 84, I want to say. 21st of November, 1984. He was 84. So in 96, he would have been... Yeah, he's not going to win the championship at 12 years old, is he? Well, I don't know. He was. Uh, he looked about 12 years old when he did win it. But anyway, he had his best opportunity. Let's go back on topic. Um, he had his best opportunity to win a world championship since 2006, as yeah. you rightly said. And you could argue that perhaps he's not going to have that opportunity again um switching to a bike that currently doesn't look that competitive but yeah. you know there's a new honda out next year and there's rumored to be a new hrc team next year you know it's not going to be like yeah. a, a satellite effort or anything like that and you know maybe he knows a whole lot more than we do and uh, and is fully expecting this bike to be a, a very very strong package and, and championship winning potential mr hrc has been walking up and down the grid hasn't he the japanese big boss who's been here this weekend with sunglasses on looking at all the other bikes yeah he came to see me actually he was offering me a contract um, <laughs> i was maybe thinking about signing to ride alongside mark marquez because you know lorenzo's struggling a little bit in a minute and he was like hey shaky how's your neck you know do you fancy having a ride <laughs> no i'm only joking <laughs> i was gonna say that's a great exclusive for the podcast if that's the case but uh, yeah let's see what happens with that bike next year there's all this talk about wings and all the rest of it which we've been talking about over the weekend yeah do you think Batista honestly in your opinion did get a bit complacent did he sort of maybe do what people said Tom Sykes had done in 14 the year he got beaten by Ginterley 
and thought he'd got it won earlier in the year? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that at all. Um, by the way, listeners, that was that Coca-Cola with the bubbles and the ice and whatever talking about the HRC guy. <laughs> um, um, no, I don't think that at all. I think that, um, you know, uh, with success comes confidence and, you know, with confidence comes success. And, you know, you, you get to a level where it almost feels like you can't do anything wrong until you actually do. I think that uh, the first crash was kind of brushed off as, as not a big deal. You know, the ref crash wasn't, wasn't you yeah. know, it was a shame, but, you know, it was what it was. He was mm. trying to extend a championship lead. He was in the lead at the time. It was on lap two, ironically enough, exactly the same time they'd done it in, um, in Mizano. Second one was seen as a little bit of a like, whoa, 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 come on, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to learn from this. But at the same time, you know, they were, they were two identical crashes caused, you know, if you, if you listen to Alvaro, by the same problem, you know, the problem that he was struggling with a bike from the word go. And, I wonder yeah. though, sorry to cut in, I wonder why that didn't then happen in Australia and Thailand and Aragon and Assen. Why did it suddenly start happening at Hera? Because I think honestly that he had to, you know, he was, he was trying harder and harder and harder and harder to, you know, mm. to, to drag results out. And, and let's, let's be honest, the, the way he started this season, nobody's ever started a World Superbike season like that. You know, it's absolutely incredible. But Laguna Seca was where it all went downhill, wasn't it? You know, this weekend, in all honesty, this weekend was always going to be tough for him because it was a brand new circuit, one that he'd never been to before. Mm. Um, you're trying to trying to claw back a disadvantage to the reference in World Superbike, Jonathan Ray, you know, yeah. who's kind of come from that 91 points behind to be so far in front that it's not even funny. He was always going to be difficult to beat, but... You know, going into this run of tracks now was probably the worst time for, for Alvaro that could have possibly happened because, you know, let's not forget, he came back at Portimao over his, after the summer break. Um, although he tested there, he never actually raced there, won the last race of the day, um, come here with a bit of momentum, although he didn't know the track. Dodgy weather conditions all weekend. It's been tough for him, not That's a load true. of dry track time, um, which was always going to make things difficult. Then they go to Villacom, um, or you go to Villacom actually, didn't you? Um, in Argentina, a track that he would have never been to before. So, you know, trying to beat Jonathan Ray at places that he's been so dominant um, yeah. when you're already on the back foot was, was always going to be difficult. Um, obviously, Qatar he'll know really well um, from his days in MotoGP. So, you know, should be super confident and super, super strong there as well. Um, I think the V4R worked really well um, in Qatar yeah. as well. So I think they all just want to sign this year off now, you know, hopefully second in the championship, secure, you know, a few more wins and then uh, move on to his new project where it's rumoured that he's going to be the, you know, the head of development and, and it will be kind of built around him, if you like. Yeah, I could actually see Batista now. I can even envisage him now winning the last race of the season in Qatar with the long straight and everything, and us all saying, oh, well, he's ended the season with a win, but it got away from him. We'll come back to Jonathan Rain in a minute, because we need to talk about the future. But top rack, Razgatiogu, the breakthrough weekend, shaky, it's come. Just like Buses, two wins have come along at once. He won race one, which, by the way, as a race, that 800th World Superbike race here on Saturday, what an absolutely amazing spectacle that was from start to finish, one of the best races of all time, I would say. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, had like six or seven guys all going at it, hammer and tongs. Um, you know, the uh, the Adelaide hairpin always, always, always throws up some entertainment, yeah. and it definitely didn't fail in that race, did it? And uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the big campaigners actually for um, top rack Resgatlioglu has been Jonathan Ray. You know, yeah. he Jonathan's a re really astute guy. You know, he he looks at everything, every little detail, and. Uh, 
he watches, he sees, he knows guys that are riding good, he knows guys that are getting away with stuff on bikes that perhaps are a little bit better than the riders or whatever. And, you know, he's been he's been one of uh, Top Rack's biggest fans for a long time, hasn't he? And, you know, whilst I'm sure that he would have been a little bit a little bit frustrated that he got beaten by him twice this weekend, I think, you know, deep inside he'll be really happy too. The other guy um, who needs a, a big mention in, in a lot of Top Rack success, actually, in, in pretty much all of it, is, is obviously his manager stroke mentor Keenan Toffoglu um you know himself a five-time world champion and you know he's kind of mentored top rack all the way through they ride supermoto together they do everything together they train together um you know and he he knows all too well just how talented that guy is yeah it was absolutely amazing race wasn't it that first race in particular and then he does it again in the second one uh, and it's weird though isn't it how top rack can come from 16th on the grid twice and win the race and then struggle really as he did he looked a bit tentative this afternoon from pole but like you said before the mistake he made that ended up taking bautista down it was only a small one wasn't it yeah I, listen there's uh you know with success comes pressure um he um you know <laughs> the job he done in in the, in the sprint race this morning was incredible you know to come from the the back of the full throw of the grid to, to win the race in 10 laps yeah. was pretty special yeah. um i think that um i think that he kind of settled into the the final race of the day the longer race uh took his time a little bit you know wasn't wasn't stressing too much about the fact that he was kind of second or third at the time or whatever made the the smallest of mistakes um up at chateau d'or yeah. and just kind of released the brake maybe caught it looked like he just caught a little bit of curb on the inside yeah. i don't know if he touched yeah. an engine case or something like that and it just took the weight off the front wheel and, and down he went but um yeah, I mean that's uh, that's racing motorbikes. You know, the, the the highs and lows of racing motorbikes are like, you know, it's the best job in the world when it's going good, and it's by far the worst in the world when it's not. Funny, isn't it, really? But he's made the breakthrough, and he's here now. He's a champion of the future, surely. Do you not think in the back of his mind he might be wishing, oh, I was still on the Kawasaki next year? And by the way, Kawasaki's won every single race here this weekend, including the three hundreds and the six hundreds. There must be a bit of top rack. I don't know. I know he's, he's obviously looking forward to his new Yamaha challenge, but he must be also thinking at the same time, I go pretty well on a Kawasaki. I sort of wish I was staying on one. Maybe not. Maybe it's me being stupid. I'm kind of wondering whether or not you secretly know something motorcycle news that we don't know because uh, you've just announced that he's going to ride a Yamaha. Oh, yeah, but we've been talking about that for ages, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, listen, I, I, I honestly think that um, the kid's so young. He's 22 years old. He's got... A, he's a rough diamond you know and he's obviously a very talented kid he rides bikes all the time supermoto motocross does everything with Keenan uh, obviously goes very well on his Kawasaki but I don't think he's been at anything long enough to not be able to adapt in fact mm -hmm. I think on the contrary I think he'll adapt really well so do you know when people say oh we might not suit the Yamaha what do you think they actually mean when they say that well, what I was about to say was that um, the Yamaha, it looks to me like it requires a, a certain type of riding style. You know, it's not the bike that you're going to ride if you want to be the last of the late breakers and, mm. you know, dive diagonally into a corner, square the corner off and fire the bike out. You know, the Yamaha or Yamaha in general, actually, even back in the days of like Rainey and, and mm. you know, Lawson's and Kaczynski's and stuff like that, Yamaha's never been the fastest bike on any grid. But what they have been is one of their sweetest handling bikes. And... That trait has carried through to um, to this 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 current R1M. Um, you know, you watch um, you watch Michael and and Alex on that bike, and when they have grip in the bike, um, so when the tires are fresh, and they can arrive at a corner really fast and just release the brake and let the bike rail the corner. 
that's where they work really well. Mm. Now, as we've seen uh, from Mizano onwards, especially with, with Top Rack, is that he likes to just brake as late as possible. Everything's on the front. He buries the bike into the apex, literally turns it, stands it up and fires it out. And I touched on it actually um, a few rounds ago. And, and I you know, I looked at, at Top Rack style and watched what he was doing on the bike and thought to myself, do you know what that kid's done? He's gone out and studied the best. He studied Jonathan Ray on the Kawasaki yeah. and he's thrown his own little ingredients in the mix. He's almost... Um, exaggerated Jonathan's style a little bit so he kind of dives into a corner he lets the brake off gets the bike turns fires it up onto the side of the tyre and drives off the corner so hard almost like Tom Sykes used to yeah. ride the Kawasaki yeah. back in the early days yeah. um, and that style really works for him which is completely the opposite to the style that we need to make the mm. Yamaha work well but like I said he's a rough diamond he's a very very talented kid and uh, yeah I can see him doing great things on the Yamaha too great stuff for the Pachetti team that's, as well that's if he does go there by the way <laughs> yeah three, three, no, he is of course um, <laughs> worst kept secret in the paddock isn't it that one but incidentally it was Chris Walker's win in the rain at Acid we said it in the commentary this weekend with James Whitson that PSG Kawasaki 2006 the last time a private team with a Kawasaki won a race I mean that's a hell of an achievement for the Pachetti team and didn't he fall off in the beginning of the race or something and get back on and still yeah. win it yeah, yeah. Acid, in terrible it? conditions 2006 yeah, 2006 again that year um, keeps coming up in this chat so yeah the, the, you know what the flip side is um, obviously the other really strong rumour obviously is that um, Alex Lowe's mm. is going to be swapping seats with one of his mm. friends and jumping onto a bike that, that he's going to have to do completely the opposite to, to Top yeah. Rack um, a bit of, almost a bit of a swap isn't it yeah so uh, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting dynamic too do you know what's interesting sorry to interrupt but do you know what's interesting remember earlier in the year when Jonathan Ray took Alex Lowe's off at Jerez and there was massive anger from certain members of the Yamaha team about the fact that that's going to wreck Alex Lowe's chances of staying with Yamaha because he needed to be third in the championship at the end of the weekend to be automatically guaranteed. In a way, <laughs> it's kind of worked out all right for Alex, hasn't it? He's going to end up, by the looks of things, becoming Jonathan Ray's teammate on the championship winning Kawasaki. Well, this is, uh, this is the very strong rumour. I mean, obviously, <laughs> at the moment, everything's uh, rumours, gossip, intrigue you know call it what you want but yeah it looks looks likely now that um alex will be going to to ride alongside of uh, of jonathan and you know what better gauge can you get of am i doing a good job or not you know you've got michael van der mark and you've got um alex lowe's riding exactly the same bikes in the in the crescent yamaha you know patty yamaha team achieving very similar results obviously points away from each other in the championship over the course of the season but are they doing a great job or is the bike great or are they doing a bad job and the bike's really good or you know <laughs> nobody really knows yeah, um but for alex to jump off of that bike now i know alex is a fast rider i know michael van der mark's a fast rider in fact i i truly believe that that alex lowe's given the right package will will fight for a world championship um you know everything has to be right for him um but when it is he is supremely fast and now he has, if this is true, he has the the chance to go up against the best rider on on the best of the Kawasaki's, and it's going to be a very, very, very interesting season <laughs> next year. So again, theoretically, because it's not officially confirmed, but let's just say Alex Lowe's is on the Kawasaki with Jonathan Ray next year. You know he can win a championship, but could he win it? against Jonathan Ray at the moment while Jonathan's at his peak with Pereira in the team and all the crew around them 
even next year, do you think? That, I know that's a tricky question. It's a bit unfair, probably. But what do you reckon? <laughs> Listen, you can ask me what you want, as long as it's not my uh, credit card number. Pin card number. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Um, I think, honestly, that um, Jonathan is a, is a class act and would mm. be very difficult to beat over the course of the season. Do I think that Alex could beat him on the same bike um, You know, on occasion next year? Quite possibly, depending yeah. on how he, how he gels with a bike. Because Jonathan's smart enough to realise now that to win championships, you know, it's not always about winning every single race, you know. You can win 10 races and throw the thing down the road and end up second in the championship because you didn't uh, you didn't finish four races or whatever. But, yeah, Jonathan's a very intelligent guy and, and he does what he needs to do to get the job done at the end of the year. Um, I think that, that Alex is plenty fast enough and plenty talented enough to uh, to win races for sure um, and really look forward, if it is true, to, to seeing him on that bike because it will also give us an idea of where Michael van der Mark's at. Um, and it will give us an idea where the Yamaha is in general too, you know, because you know that bike's been in the championship now, officially supported for around four or five years, I think. Um, obviously, there's a new Yamaha coming out next year, an updated version, a 2020 version. Um, you know, Kawasaki aren't going to stand still either. You know, they they will have seen what happened at the beginning of this season and for whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we we got some work to do here. And if the rumours are true, they have a. They have a new motor that's uh, that's ridiculously powerful, um, at least on a par with a Ducati. And I heard that quite a long time ago as well. You know, whether or not that bike puts that power down effectively is a, is another matter. And that's one of the strengths of the V4 Ducati. You know, the the kind of lazy, talky kind of motor that the the V4 is. They rev to the moon, but they're dead flat in power. Mm. So you've got a load of horsepower that's really easy to put on the track. And I think that's why we see. You know, the likes of Alvaro get that Ducati out of the corner so well. You know, we talked in the in the beginning of the year, especially about how you know Chaz was attacking everything like absolutely one hundred and ten percent, but almost running into corners so fast that he couldn't get on the gas again. Mm. But Alvaro had found a way to. He wasn't the. He was far from the last of the late breakers. In mm. fact, if anything, he he used that was the only place you could beat him. But he uh, he used to break so early that he could release the brake um, you know when you release the brake the bike generally turns the corner and he was picking up the throttle so early that he was getting out what he was losing on the way in mm. he was gaining like tenfold on the way out of corners so that's that bike strength obviously it doesn't matter if you've got 300 horsepower if you can only put so much of it on the tarmac at any one time it, it doesn't matter what number of horsepower you've got you, you've got to be able to put it to the floor and use it to the best of your ability you mentioned Chas Davis there. Let's talk about him quickly because obviously he had a great uh, return to form, didn't he, at Laguna Seca? They made some big chassis changes, he said, that weekend, electronic stuff as well, but uh, mainly chassis. Portugal, he had a great second place. Then they changed the setup for some reason, a little bit weird overnight and disappeared off the face of the earth on the Sunday. However, despite the lack of dry practice time here on Friday, he was up there again, wasn't he? Then had that problem, ended up running out. Uh, that was an electrical problem, apparently. But I reckon Chas Davies could have won that first race, so it seems like he's he's comfortable on that bike now, generally speaking. Yeah, it seems to me that obviously it's a new bike, yeah. um, and that's not to to make excuses for anybody. But it seems to me at the moment that the you know we we as riders describe a motorcycle setting as a window, um, and when your bike's in the window, you can you can pretty much you know what I mean move tiny incremental changes and find a little bit of feeling that you need for one thing or another so you might have a bike that's not turning that well and you can make a tiny change and you can improve the turning without kind of you know affecting your braking stability or something like that or you might have a bike that stops really well 
um, but doesn't turn so good, and and you can do something to you know to change that. Yeah. But it, it seems to me that certainly in the World Superbike Championship at the moment that the the, the Ducati V4 heart, V4i has a really small operating window, and if you go out of that window, you know you're almost out of the front door with it and almost out of the postcode. Um, so it seems to work in a you know a pretty a pretty small window for yeah. want of a better word. Yeah. And that's something that they'll work on over the winter, you know, to, to broaden the possibilities, you know, to everything's done by by numbers. Um, so they'll have uh, they'll have chassis programs that they'll plug into and it'll tell them that the offset's this, the you know, the steering angle's that, the ride height at the front is this, the the you know, the wheelbase is that, the swing arm length is this, the you know, the center of gravity is that, the weight bias is this, the weight bias is that, the rear um, you know, they have all these variables that all have to kind of work within this uh, little thing. And obviously, you can make, it's like a Rubik's Cube. It's really, really easy to, to get like one stripe in one color. It's quite easy to get two stripes in one color. But you try to get like, yeah. you know, three sides and yeah. it's like a, it, everything yeah. just goes wrong. Um, <laughs> and it just seems like, you know, that that's where they're at a little bit with that bike at the moment. But I know there's a, a raft of new parts to come for that bike for, for winter testing. Um, and they'll be looking to kind of broaden that window a little bit or open it up, turn it into a patio maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So is it a bit like, you know when you go in the shower and you go to a hotel or somewhere and it's a shower you're unfamiliar with and it's either really, really hot or if you turn it a tiny bit, it all of a sudden comes out really freezing cold and it's really difficult to find the perfect spot in the middle there. Do they need to sort of understand what each change does is that what it is i reckon you stay in some hotels <laughs> um, yeah listen you know I, I don't think that's the case i think that uh you know like i said you know, these things are all done off chassis programs now you know there's a lot of like very very clever people involved with you know with all of the all of the factory teams and uh i think that um let's just say for argument's sake that the sweet spot is 110 you know, the bike needs to work at 105 and 115 as well. Mm. Um, but it seems at the moment that if the sweet spot, sweet spot is 110, if it's 109 or 111, it's no good. Um, and that's not like the bike's no good at all. It means they, they, you know, they struggle with a particular problem and they can't get around it until they get back to 110. So that's something they'll work on over the winter for sure. And, you know, maybe, maybe like we said earlier on with Alvaro, that's the, that's the thing that's bugged him the most, you know, the doesn't seem to be a way around keeping the thing at 110 all the time um, despite the fact that he's been complaining of the same problems from the world ago and one thing actually that he that he actually I, I read that he'd said and I thought it made a lot of sense really was that yes everybody looks at Alvaro Batista and thinks oh the bike's a jet you know it's really fast down the straight blah 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 or he's got x amount of miles per hour on everybody um, that's great but there's one straight and 15 corners you got yeah. to get a bike around yeah. 15 corners. Yeah. And, and I thought that was a really valid point. And he said that uh, people don't realize how hard he has to work to, to get the bike through the corners and think that he gets the lap time for free. It's not the case at all. He's rode that bike better than anybody this year. And I dare say we'll see a few more wins from him before the season's out. Well, Supersport, and I agree, yeah. well, Supersport 600 was a funny one, wasn't it, today? The two top men in the championship both crashing. First round of Krumenacker, a big high side. I hope he's all right. Well, we know he's all right because we saw him in the garage, but that's going to smart a bit in the morning and then Federico Caracasulo out on his own five or six laps later now I don't know whether this is the case but there was a bit of a rumor going around that something was leaking out from under that bike before he crashed first time but either way what a missed opportunity for him and for Joel Cluzello could only finish sixth yeah I mean I, I don't know too much about that rumor about the bike leaking anything because 
you know, certainly in, in BSB, if there's a slightest hint of uh, mm. smoke or, or yeah. a sign of something coming out, you know, you're black flagged and, and yeah. that's it. So I'm fairly sure that, you know, the the organisation that runs the uh, the World Superbike Championship, if that had been the case, they would have spotted yeah. that and he would have got black flagged. But, yeah. um, and I must admit, actually, when I watched it back on the highlights, Kev, I couldn't see anything. Yeah, well, you would have seen it and you would have probably known what it was by now and what it was made <laughs> up of and, and what brand of oil it was and, uh, and whatever else because that's you all over. Um, but what I, um, what I do think is that, you know, Randy was very, very lucky to walk away. That was like a yeah. third, maybe fourth gear high side. That, as you said, will hurt in the morning. But luckily, he never, never broke anything or it didn't mm. appear to break anything. Um, that, just quickly, by the way, it's exactly the same place and the same kind of crash Keenan Safoglu had two years ago and broke his hip. I mean, it just shows what could have happened. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it, was a, it was a monumental high side, um, one that you will definitely know all about in the morning, yeah. um, if not already tonight. Yeah. Caracazulo, just uh, exactly the same crash, actually, as, uh, as top Razgatlioglu in the, in the second race. Just mm. kind of lost the front in the mm. middle of Chateau d'Eau, went down picked the bike up, got back on the bike, started riding around mm. again, and then had a big one at turn two. Um, by big one, I mean a faster one, you know, um, exactly the same type of crash, lost the front again, pushing on too much. And, uh, you know, he's a young kid and he was under a lot of pressure. He had a great opportunity. He had the golden opportunity to, to steal 25 points off of um, off of Randy at that point, which would have given him a 15-point lead going into Villicombe. Um, with only Villicum obviously and Qatar left as it stands now nothing's changed you know they're, they're still 10 points apart at the top of the mm. championship Jules Clausel didn't really capitalise that well um, he did say in his defence at the beginning of the, of the beginning of the race that you know he didn't have great dry setup because of the amount of track time they'd had in the wet but even so you know if you want to win a World Super Sport Championship it's not going to come mm. for free Luca Myers of course winning that race first win he's had on the Kawasaki Isak Vignale is right behind him his first ever podium and right behind him, Etan Badavini. Carl Smith, of course, dropped to ninth, but did get a great pole on Saturday. Didn't um, Vignales have a podium somewhere else? He nearly did. He nearly had one in Thailand, and he ended up fourth in that oh, race. I checked yeah, through it earlier yeah. to make sure, actually, because I was thinking, but no, no, he was his first one here. Uh, and he pushed them all the way, didn't he, to be fair? Well, do you know what? When you put it into context, right, we've, we've kind of been banging on about Alvaro Batista and how well he done to, to finish fifth and sixth or whatever mm. he did in the first two races how well he's adapted to the track in bad conditions and stuff like that. He's like, Vignales come along and nearly won the race, you know, uh, in super sport. And that's a, that's a tough class. You know, there's, there's nothing for free in that class. Um, one thing I will say was I saw probably the most outrageous, um, kind of defensive riding I think I've ever seen. Um, when Lucas Mahias went down into, into the kind of final corner before the last came, he went in there so tight that you could almost see Vinales looking as if so what on earth are you doing? But um, you know, probably a move that he's um, he's practiced many a time in, in perhaps French championships or whatever it was he's come from, mm. um, and it got the job done. But uh, nice to see Lucas win, you know, because let's not forget the guy's a world super sport champion, a quality rider. Um, hasn't been the happiest with the Kawasaki. He's been kind of chipping away and getting getting faster and getting faster and whatever else. But uh, top that off with a great win today. We also have history made today, of course, with the youngest ever FIM road racing world champion, the youngest ever, and that's including all of the MotoGP classes. Loris Caparossi was 17 when he won his 125 title in 1990, nearly 30 years ago, and 109 days younger today, 29th of September 2019, Manuel Gonzalez, the 17-year-old from Spain, Supersport 300 world champion, 
First time that's been wrapped up before the end of the year. There's still one race to go. He could be a star of the future. I wonder what he'll be doing next year, but what a great ride from him. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's difficult to be a, a standout rider in that championship, in all fairness, because, mm. you know, there's a lot of guys on, on bikes that are all very similar. And, uh, yeah, you, you, need to, uh, you need to ride the wheels off the things to, to really stand out. You know, obviously, he's become the youngest world, world champion ever. Um, but he's become the youngest world champion ever with, I think, three wins, five or six podiums Sometimes. maybe yeah. and and whatever else he's had to you know to achieve yeah. that which is great but does that automatically stand him out as a, a standout rider you know only time will tell it'd be great to see him on a super sport bike or, or maybe even a moto 2 bike or whatever to see how he develops um but yeah this is this is the start of a long hard journey that's for sure yeah the race was won by anna carrasco great win for anna because this has been a disastrous circuit for her the last two years so well done to anna and the provec team there good weekend for them and for kawasaki um gonzalez by the way even missed a race he missed donington with an injury so it just shows the others are being very inconsistent for him to win the title with a race to go having missed a race completely but there you go back to jonathan ray then shane before we sign off I guess the question now is, what happens next? What does the future hold for Jonathan Ray? We know he's here again next year. I don't want to be the guy who starts talking about how long will he go on for, but there's a few whispers, obviously. How long will he go on for? I, I would imagine as long as he's enjoying it, why would he want to stop? You know what I'd really like to see, in all honesty? I'd love to see Jonathan defend his title again next year. Yeah. I'd love to see him become a six-time champion. Yeah. Absolutely the utmost of respect for the guy, the way he approaches his racing, um, Everything that he does, you know, great dad, happy husband, lovely family, you know, so much respect for him, it's not even funny. But what I'd really like to see now, really like to see now from Jonathan, is him see out his contract with Kawasaki at the end of next year and potentially change manufacturer and see if he can fight for a championship. Um, I'm not saying for one minute that I think that, that Kawasaki have given them championships because Let's not forget what he did with the Honda. Um, you know, there were times when he was an absolute genius on that bike. Again, everything had to be absolutely perfect for it to happen because the bike probably wasn't as good as some of the bikes he was racing against. But for me, the one thing, the, the, the feather in his cap, if you could get any more feathers in your cap after being a, a five-time back-to-back <laughs> world champion would be to, you know, to, to switch bikes maybe and uh and try and win a championship for another manufacturer please please don't take that as like a, oh you're only winning on the kawasaki because that's not the case at all and i couldn't care less if he wins another five championships for kawasaki nothing will take away the greatness that man's achieved he is the reference in world superbike funny enough he just texted me right now <laughs> he said you know how Conor McGregor always says about the champ, champ or whatever? Yeah. I sent Jonathan a text message today just as he crossed the line saying, congratulations, champ, 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 champ. <laughs> uh, and he sent me one back saying, thanks a lot, champ. Just a bit unexpected. <laughs> um, he wasn't expecting it, was he? He really wasn't, as we said on Friday in practice, you know, the fact the family weren't here. I obviously know the kids have got school and everything at the moment and Tashi's got her own stuff going on, but... Jonathan genuinely didn't think he'd be winning the title this weekend. No, he didn't. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried that, that you or, or the listeners might think that I'm sort of taken away from that, you know, his achievements. I'm not, not at all. But I'd love to see him, just for all the people that might think in that way, come back maybe in, in you know, 2021 or whatever and uh, win a championship for a, another manufacturer 
and then just say, yeah, that's me. I'm done. Just just to let you know that it wasn't just you know just <laughs> this or just that. Um, because I think, like I said, he is the reference. He he is the, the greatest world superbike rider ever, in my in my opinion. And um, you know the numbers don't lie. Can you remember thinking that then? Let's use your BSP titles as an example. When you won the first one, can you remember thinking even then it would be good to win it on a different bike? And I certainly remember you remember uh, when you won your back to backs, saying. I wanted to defend one because everyone would have said I never defended it. So was it a bit like that with different bikes as well? Yeah, I was very keen to to win on a because everybody said, "Oh, you know, you only won because you got on a Ducati or, or whatever else." And yes, it's true. I won a championship in two thousand three on a Ducati, and I backed up with another one in two thousand eight on a Ducati. But since then, I've won two on four cylinder bikes <laughs> and another one on a Ducati. Yeah. So you know, I I feel that nobody could ever say, "Oh, you know, you could only win when you was on that." And nobody, especially me, because I know how hard it is, um, is saying that he can only win because he's on a Kawasaki. But what I'd love, nothing more, yeah. is is him to jump on something else and literally just bounce straight back with another championship because, you know, he's a reference. He's the greatest world superbike rider now ever. If he wins another five championships for Kawasaki, fantastic. Jonathan, you are a legend. Um but if he raced another two more years and won one with our manufacturer, who could argue then? Nobody could argue. He's coming up to 300 races as well. I think that'll be next year or the year after that. But I mean, he's finished 60%, Shane, of his World Superbike races, including all the Honda years when he wasn't regularly winning. 60% of all of his races on the podium. Uh, not far off a third of them, I think it is, winning. Obviously, most of this has happened in the Kawasaki years, but that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Greg. He is a five-time back-to-back world champion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, we spoke to him at the end of the show earlier on and, and I almost had like a, mm. a potato in my throat. Yeah, I felt too. so yeah. happy for him. Yeah. You know, I've got so much respect for the guy. It's, it's amazing what he's achieved. And, you know, like he said in that text just then, it's not quite sunk in yet. Didn't really expect it. But yeah. Jonathan Ray... You are five-time back-to-back World Superbike champion. Fair play. Yes, you certainly are, Jonathan Ray. Because just thinking back to people like, before we go, Troy Corsa, for example, some people in the past have said, you know what, he could have won a lot more races, a lot more titles if he really wanted to. Jonathan Ray has never, ever, ever, he never really has an off day, does he? Even this weekend has been a bit tricky, but, you know, no one get any proper practice in the dry on Friday. He doesn't really, you don't hear anyone saying, oh, Jonathan's been off this weekend, do you? He's always up there. And that's what makes him a champion. You know, at the end of the day, you need to uh, you need to amass points to, to to win the championship. And a bad day for Jonathan's like a third or a fourth, isn't it? Um, you know, a good day for most people is a third or a fourth, and and that's the difference. That's the level he's at. I I I can't get my head around somebody being a five time back to back world champion. That is like dominance of another level. That's like Mark Marquez type dominance. Um, and that's what he's achieved here in World Superbike and. Uh, I know he's off to Ibiza tomorrow for his brother's stag do, and yeah. uh, I'm sure it's going to be a pretty fun trip. Just to sign off our podcast in the usual way, what's your plan? Of course, this has gone out on Wednesday, but uh, what have you got going on between Magnicore and where are we next, Donington? What have I got going on? So I missed my daughter's birthday today, which she's most unhappy about. Um, happy birthday, Lily. Happy birthday, Lily. So I want to spend some time with her tomorrow. We have the in-laws over uh, until Friday. Um, I've got a meeting on Tuesday uh, down in Chiswick. I have a meeting with a friend. I bought a new bicycle frame because the the surgeon said to me, um, you know, just 
just start to chip away now a bit of training you know things things are a little bit more secure now so you can start to do some training so the first thing i went and done the other week was bought myself a new bicycle frame um i'm looking forward to getting out and doing some doing some riding on the road with a bicycle uh and getting a level of fitness back because i feel like the laziest i don't know careful yeah no exactly it's, it's really difficult because you know i've spent the last 20 odd years of my career taking a lot of pride in the fact that I'm a, a relatively or I was a relatively fit guy you know training pretty much every day to make sure that when I turned up at the weekend I was strong enough to win races so to to spend 18 months not being allowed to do that has been really really tough for me um, both physically and mentally because you know I haven't really changed my diet too much and you know when you're when you're burning calories all the time because you're training all the time you know you keep yourself in pretty trim shape but you know when you're still eating the same kind of foods but you're not burning calories obviously the the, the calories stick to your uh, stick to your body so i'm looking forward to uh, to doing some exercise and i'm meeting one of my friends actually to drop him a, a couple of bicycles one that he's selling for me and one that he's going to sort of build up and and make super cool uh, thursday night i have to go to donington park Friday morning, big meeting. Friday afternoon, another meeting, and then uh, straight back to it with PSB. We've got a live pit lane walkabout, haven't we? I just remembered for Facebook on Saturday at Donington. So we'll be there at Donington for BSB. We'll be live all weekend long, but uh, as you've already said, Shane, and thanks for joining us for this, it is all about Jonathan Ray. We have a five time world superbike champion. Congratulations, Jonathan. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.